Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence here. Not a single one of us is deserving of this moment of standing in your presence, but by your grace. Lord, I pray that every eye and heart will be fixated upon you and you alone. We haven't come today to listen to the opinions of man. We've come to encounter you and you alone, Jesus. And so I pray right now with every hand lifted that you honor the hungry hearts. From the front to the back, the left to the right. Every person within the sound of my voice on whatever streaming platform that's listening to this throughout the week, I pray, Father God, your Holy Spirit will touch and heal and restore and lift up. Comfort, make whole, set free in Jesus' name. And all of Numa Church shouts. Come on, can we just honor Jesus right where you are? For he alone is worthy. Come on, a heartfelt, just fill the room with compliments to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. already feels the presence of God in the room. Come on, we're going to read scripture today. Stay standing with me. We're going to honor the word of God. It says here in Mark chapter 5, verse 21, it says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed. Say, she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes... I will be healed. Say, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came, fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Can we give Jesus a big shout of praise for the incredible account? Wonderful. Grab your seat. High five someone before you sit down. So good. Today I want to speak to you on the thought, what do you believe about him? What do you believe about him? And before we launch into some thoughts today. I just really do want to honor your senior pastors, Pastor Corey and Simone and the leadership team here. A great privilege to be part of the Numa family. I feel like I'm part of your covenant family. Can I, can I stay? Because every time I come here, I just, it just feels like family. And, uh, you know, for, I was telling Corey before that it, it may seem to you like you've got an invited guest. Uh, I feel like I'm cheating because I feel like I've come here to catch what's on this house. And so it's a great privilege to be here and a great privilege to witness as well the, the, the commissioning of yourself, Don, and, and Hannah as well. I just really believe that God is going to do incredible things through you. Um, you know, we, we come around this passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 5, and um, 
there is this great account of Jesus interacting with two characters. One is Jairus and one is this woman with the issue of blood. And, you know, I'm so glad that the Bible, for if, you, if you believe in Jesus and Jesus Christ is, is your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so glad that the Bible actually calls us believers. But how many of you know that it is one thing to believe in Jesus, but a whole completely different thing altogether to believe correctly about him? For all relationships are actually based not on the fact that whether you believe the person next to you is real or not, but it's really what you believe about them. Right here, you can come up and high-five me and pat me on the shoulder. I am real. I'm standing on the stage. I'm this bold Asian guy speaking at 100 miles an hour at you, right? I'm definitely real. But what you believe about me has already predetermined whether you're going to listen to me or not or scroll through Facebook. What you believe about me is already predetermined if you're going to even care for what I have to say. All of human relationships are based on what we believe about a person. And it's great that we believe in Jesus. But today, one of the most important questions that any believer can answer is what exactly do we believe about him? What exactly do you believe about Jesus, Numa Church, how you effectively disciple the nations is really not on the basis of whether you believe in him or not, but it's what you believe about him that will form and disciple the nations that God has called you to reach. And so today I want to get our hearts and heads around this whole idea about what you believe about him, because what you believe about Jesus will determine the kind of relationship that you will have with him. See, what you believe about Jesus will frame how you pray, will frame how you read scripture. It'll frame how you share your faith confidently. Come on. What you believe about Jesus will already predetermine your experience of your Christian faith here on earth. Here in the book of Mark chapter 5, we see two people. Uh, in, in scripture, the first is a man by the name of Jairus. We are known, we, we are told that he is a leader of the synagogue. He's very high up, a religious leader. He is by his daughter's deathbed. His daughter is terminally ill. And the Bible tells us that he leaves his daughter's bedside. I don't know if you know that as a parent, it'll take a lot for you to leave your dying child's bedside. And yet Jairus leaves his daughter's bedside and he goes to find this Jesus that he would have heard about as a Jew. He would have heard about the Messiah that was coming. And he goes and finds this Jesus. Now what he does tells us that he believed in Jesus. The fact that he got up from his daughter's deathbed to find Jesus tells us that he believed in Jesus. But what he says next tells us what he believed about him. He says, Jesus, 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 if you come with me, Come home back to my house and lay hands on my daughter. She will be healed and she will live. Oh man, I want to be part of a church that believes rightly about Jesus. See, what we say exposes what we believe about him. The other character in this account in Mark chapter 5 is a woman that the Bible tells us she's got no name. She's nameless. She's faceless. But the Bible does go into detail about her condition. She's been bleeding menstrually for 12 years, and you can imagine the kind of pain and discomfort. The Bible tells us that she spent all her money on physicians, and yet she did not get any better. In fact, she grew worse. If you understood the context of it in the first century Middle East, a woman with that kind of condition would have been considered unclean. So if you can think about her kind of life that she would have lived, 12 years with this condition, it is highly likely that she would have not left her house in 12 years. How many of you know that is a long time? term quarantine isolation situation. She would have not felt sunlight on her skin for 12 years. And yet as a Jew, she would have heard that this Jesus is coming down her street and she would have heard the crowd calling Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And all of a sudden she would have been stirred 
and faced with this conundrum, do I stay within the confines of my house in further isolation because that's where I belong as an unclean woman in the first century Middle East, or will I push through my shame and self-consciousness to go find Jesus? She would have grappled, what do I even wear to manage the bleed? I haven't been out of the house for 12 years. I don't even know how to do my hair anymore. For 12 years, I've not brushed it to get out of the house. For me, it's been 20 years since I brushed my hair, but that's a different story altogether. (laughs) And yet she pushes through all of these thoughts. And so what she does tells us that she believed in Jesus, but what she says next shows us what she believed about him. For she says, if I can only get close and touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. Oh man, I wanna be part of a church like this that says rightly about what we believe about Jesus. Friends, I wanna suggest to you today what you believe about Jesus will have profound effects of your experience of your Christianity right now. What you believe, when you believe in him, your destiny in him is assured. Eternal life is assured. But what you believe about him will have profound effects on the kind of Christianity you experience today. And so there are some learnings out of the book of Mark chapter 5 I want to share with you today. Is that okay? And the first learning is this. What you believe about him will determine the conclusions you jump to. How many of you know that we are very good at jumping to conclusions? Right? How many of you jump to conclusions when you get that medical report from your doctor? How many of you know you jump to conclusions when your, doctors, when, when you, when your boss says, I need to see you in my office, we're having a restructure? Yes. <laughs> that word restructure strikes fear in every single person that's ever worked in a corporate setting. We're chronic conclusion jumpers, right? See, the ending that we write to any circumstance that we're in is already been predetermined but what you believe about him. Did you catch that? The book of Mark chapter four, a chapter before this Mark five account of Jairus and this woman with the issue of blood. Jesus calls his disciples and says, boys, we're gonna sail to the other side, so we're gonna get in the boat. So Jesus has already written a conclusion to this whole journey. They get in the boat, the storm beats against the boat, the boat starts to take in water. The disciples notice that Jesus is sleeping in the boat. How many of you have ever been in a crisis situation and it feels like Jesus is sleeping in the boat? So they get to Jesus and they wake him. So what they did told us that they believed in Jesus. So they wake Jesus, 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 wake up. But what they say next exposes what they believed about him. They said, Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? How many of you have ever catastrophized and written an ending for your crisis situation that Jesus never wrote for you? How many of you ever thought to yourself, man, if I roll the ball forward with this financial situation, I'm going to go bankrupt. If I roll the ball forward with this particular relational issue, man, I'm going to be heartbroken. If I roll the ball forward with this situation with my child, oh man, they, 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 they're going to have an ending that's not so good. We catastrophize our endings and we start writing endings that Jesus never wrote for us because we've got an erroneous belief about God. It's time for us to shape are thinking again according to scripture, according to who Jesus says we are. The story ends well for us if you read the back of the book. Come on. We win. The book of Mark chapter 6, two chapters later, Jesus presses repeat on the whole situation and says, boys, we're going to get into a boat. We're going to sail to the other side. If I was a disciple, I'd be freaking out because I've seen that story before. Deja vu. No way I'm getting in the boat with you, Jesus. 
but they get in the boat, right? Only this time, Jesus says, boys, you're gonna get in the boat. I won't be there with you, right? I'm gonna be up in the hill praying. So Jesus decides, I'm gonna play the biggest prank ever on my boys. They get in the boat, they're sailing to the other side, a storm hits again, right? Jesus decides, I'm gonna freak them all out and I'm gonna start walking on water. How many of you know that two believers in the same storm can jump to two different conclusions based on what they believe about Jesus? So Jesus appears through the fog and the wind and the rain and 11 out of 12 disciples freak out and says, it's a ghost, we're all gonna die. How many of you have those kind of people in your congregations? I do. It's full of those sort of people. But one out of 12 said, I see you, and that's you, Jesus. And if it's really you, would you call me out on the water? Because I want to walk on the water with you. Come on, are you out there? I want to believe. I know, I know what kind of belief I want to carry with me as a disciple. I need a resounding amen from you. See, for, for, for so many of us as leaders, most of our counseling sessions, not that I counsel very much, neither does your pastor, but most of our counseling sessions, we don't really counsel people based on what's happening to them. We counsel them trying to correct what they think might happen to them because of what is happening to them. Hello. Jesus, in both accounts in Mark 4 and in Mark chapter 6, said these words to his disciples, where is your faith? Or why do you have such little faith? What is he saying to them? He's saying to them, boys, storms in life are inevitable, but fear is optional. Because after all, isn't fear an erroneous belief about God? Isn't fear, aren't all our fears erroneous beliefs about God? The fact that we don't really think that God is a way maker. We don't really, we sing it, but we don't really think that his promises never fail. Come on. We don't really believe that we're gonna see a victory. We sing it, but we, come on. Our fear exposes the erroneous belief that we have about him, but I know this. I know that God is building a new army that doesn't just believe in Jesus, but believes rightly about Jesus. And you're gonna disciple nations into the who God actually says he is. I need a resounding amen. amen. It's helpful to you guys? I'm preaching myself happy here, is that okay? The second learning out of the book of Mark chapter five with Jairus and this woman with the issue of blood is that what you believe about him will determine how you respond when someone else gets the miracle that you need. How have you are in a place of need right now, and you've been waiting a long time, it feels like you're in a, a place, a season of waiting for God to bring a breakthrough, right? Yeah. Some of you, it's been three, four, five, six years. You have that great pressing need that you've been taking to God. Next minute, Johnny come lately over there, <laughs> two weeks of suffering for Jesus, suddenly they get like a testimony, I've got a breakthrough, yeah. How many of you have heard of the term triage? You know what triage is? Triage is used in every emergency department all over the world is the assignment of degrees of urgency to wounds, injuries, or illnesses to decide the priority of treatment. Triage works in every single hospital all over the world, right? It's a common, common sense system of dealing with issues, but Jesus doesn't abide by these rules. Here is Jairus. And his daughter is ill to the point of death. He goes and finds Jesus, explains the situation. Jesus says, man, this sounds really dire. All the disciples agree, man, we should put the siren on the truck. We are going to your house, Jairus. Right? Because that is like an urgent call out. On the way there, Jesus is so extra. He stops. He says, hold up, boys. I feel pain. 
power leave from me. It's like, what are you doing? Even the disciples going, Jesus, can, can you like hurry up? Stop. And he goes, hold up, boys. I feel power. Now, if, if I was Jairus, I would be screaming at Jesus. What are you doing? Don't you know that my daughter is so close to the point? And he would have seen this woman, and, and he probably would have guessed really quickly what was going on. Jesus is engaging with a woman with a 12-year bleed. Now, we understand that her situation is pretty dire, right? But there is a difference between fatal and chronic. How many of you ever said that to Jesus? Jesus, my need is far greater than that person over there. Can you please answer my prayer first? Or is it just me? Am I the only unholy guy in all of Melbourne this morning? <laughs> we feel at times like we're entitled to Jesus bringing our breakthrough first. But what you believe about him will determine how you respond when someone else gets the miracle that you need first. Maybe you're here today and you've been unemployed for seven, eight, nine months. Three, four hundred resumes have gone out, not even a single call. And yet, you know, Wayne over there on the other far side of the room, he's still got a job and he's been offered two promotions. You want to punch him. <laughs> Maybe you're here today and you've been lonely a long time and it's in your heart to be in a relationship and start a family and you're tired of going to weddings on your own. You're tired of being on your own. You just, it's in your, the desire of your heart. Shinny Kwikwi over there in the tight dress, engaged at 19. What? What you believe about him will determine how you respond when someone else gets the miracle that you need, right? Jairus doesn't say anything. He would have stood there and watched Jesus engage with this woman all the while knowing the clock is ticking on his daughter's life. Why is that? Because the same revelation he had about who Jesus is and what he believed about Jesus when he left his daughter's deathbed was still the same Jesus. When he said, Jesus, would you come back to my house, lay hands on my daughter, she will live and be healed, is the same Jesus when he stops to seemingly give miracle and breakthrough to everybody else but him. Come on, are you out there? If you're here today and you're in a season of waiting, can I suggest to you today, believe rightly about Jesus. I don't know if you know our story, Chrissy and I, we have two boys, our youngest boy, Isaiah, soon to be 16. He was born with a rare genetic syndrome called Mowat-Wilson syndrome. He's one of 450 people in the world to be ever diagnosed with it. So we raise a disabled child. We have raised a boy with special needs. You know, when Isaiah was a baby, as all parents do, we dedicated him at our church. A guest ministry came and he dedicated Isaiah. I remember being there present and when you dedicate your child, being a young dad, I remember this was 2006. He was just a baby, newborn. You have these dreams for your kid. And I dreamt of the day where I would maybe film Isaiah having his first speech in his school assembly. That he'd win this merit certificate, this great award. This, he'd be class captain. He would have this sporting achievement, win this maths award and be great at music. And be an activity scene at church sometime. And over the years... Isaiah has not met a single one of those aspirations that I've had for my own boy. And as church pastors, as we do, we dedicate other people's children. We celebrate all their achievements on Facebook. We see them grow up. And my boy is six foot two, is almost 16 years old, and I've never had a conversation with him because he's got no language. And there have been days where I've said, God, I don't know if I can handle this, you know? This pastoring and seeing other people win and seeing their victories and seeing them, their kids get older, 
accolades and achievements and meet the milestones that my own boy has never met. But I refuse to reduce what I believe about Jesus down to my present reality. And it may not be my time yet, but I may not have had a conversation with my boy just yet, but one day I will. Come on, if not in this life, in the next, in his glorified body. My time will come in his time. I don't know where you're at today, but this is a prophetic word for someone. If you're in a season where you seem to be waiting for Jesus and he's stopping for everybody else but you, your time will come in his time. And you're resounding amen from somebody today at Numa. The book of 1 Samuel chapter 1 accounts for a lady by the name of Hannah. Hannah was, in, in, in that chapter that we read, was barren. She was unable to have children. To make matters worse, Hannah's heart has always been to bear a child, to raise a family, to have children of great significance. God had spoken to her about it. And yet month after month after month, she'd come out, pregnancy test, no. To make matters worse, her husband Elkanah marries a second wife called Penina. Now, Penina was a piece of work. Here is Hannah, she desires to have a family. Alcanar marries Panina, and now Panina, on the other hand, was popping out babies like a rabbit. Her own pastors were sick of dedicating her children. It's like, oh my gosh, Panina's kid again, oh my gosh. Here's another one, another year, another child. <laughs> to make matters worse, Panina would mock Hannah. And every year, Hannah would go up to the temple, and she would keep her eyes on God. And she would know that my time will come in his time. And what she believed about her God framed how she responded. Every year when Panina would have her children and rub it in her face. And I wanna say this to you, to someone out there, what you believe about Jesus will be tested in the fires of comparison. And when the fires of comparison will test you, may you be found to believe rightly about Jesus. Come on, an resounding amen from you. I got a motor. Third learning, Mark chapter 5, verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. Very important. Underline it in your Bible. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Third final learning is that what you believe about him will determine how you respond when people tell you there is no hope. Have you ever been told there is no hope? I've been told that a lot by medical professionals about my boy, spoken and over him. No one's ever been cured by a genetic syndrome. Don't be ridiculous. We know you're a preacher, a man of faith, but no one's ever been cured by that kind of thing. You can't take pills to manage it. It's not a disorder. It's a syndrome. He's born genetically. It's in his blood. Have you ever been told that the relationship that you're in right now is so broken down that it's irreparable? Have you ever been told that that sickness that you have is incurable, you just need to manage the symptoms. Have you ever been told that your son will never come off drugs, that depression will never be healed off your life, that bondage, that, that, that abuse you'll never recover from? Have you ever been told that it's hopeless? See, what you believe about Jesus will determine how you respond 
when you're told there is no hope? Yes. Jairus, your daughter is dead. Doesn't the voice of the enemy love to bring some finality to the things that Jesus has never wrote an end like that to? Man's voice, the voice of the accuser, will often say, well, don't be a God botherer. Don't bother the rabbi anymore. Isn't that the voice of accusation? Don't even, don't even worry about coming to this prayer meeting in the afternoons because your, your situation is too far gone. Why would you even bother putting a prayer request? Why would you even bother, uh, bother asking your life group to pray for you? That situation is too far gone. See, what you believe about him will determine how you respond. When people tell you there is no hope, when people say that San Francisco is just the hub of sexual immorality, that's going to be tested. But I know that your leaders are going to look at that city in the eye and say that what we believe about Jesus is this. That San Francisco is going to be the hub of the breath of God. The, the numer of God is going to be an apostolic hub where we're going to train people. People have called this the capital city of immorality. We're going to call it the capital city of the breath of God. There's something about a church that dares to believe rightly. Oh, somebody needs to holler in this. Come on. What do you believe about God will be tested when the voice of hopelessness comes and tells you, your daughter is dead. Don't worry about it. Just manage it. Just grieve in, in private. Just grieve in the quiet of your heart. There are some things that the world has labeled irrecoverable, irreparable, that you cannot come back from there, that Jesus is simply saying, she's just asleep. Let me into the house. Come on, I feel that prophetically. Some of y'all need to let Jesus into your house. You've gone all that way with him. You've walked all that way with him. Let him into your house. And it may look right now that that particular calling on your life looks dead. It might look right now that that particular situation, that, that, dr that dream that God had placed in your heart for that particular ministry, that purpose that he'd given you all those years ago, people would say, you're too old. Leave it to the young ones. It's in those situations. My exhortation to you today is open up your house because Jesus is coming. And what you believe about him will predetermine how you respond when people tell you there is no hope. Come on, somebody give Jesus a big shout of praise. Come on, musicians, join me quickly. Come on, stand to your feet right across this room. I just feel an atmosphere shifting right now, right across this room. Every head bowed, every eye closed just for a moment. I just really know that the, the, the Spirit of God is going to move in this service today. Wherever that you're watching this or listening on Spotify, you open up your heart too. But this is the sense I get. I just feel it just for this service. There's people here where you've lived your Christian journey with a diluted belief about Jesus. It's almost that like you begrudgingly come to church at times and you believe in Him, but you're not really sure if everything that the Bible describes about your God it's the same God that you believe in. And there are times where you experience your Christian faith in low definition. You experience it a little blurry. You experience it in a smaller measure than Jesus intended for you to experience. And that's why at different times you catastrophize your endings. You live with a low-grade fear and low-grade anxiety. That's not the man or woman Jesus died and rose again for you to become. There's others here, second group of people. You feel like you're in a season where you're stuck, where Jesus has stopped for everybody else and has seen their needs, but it feels like you're unseen to God. 
can imagine being Jairus, he would have potentially thought about, Jesus, are you, are you serious? Do you still see me? I'm the guy that came to you first. A third group of people, you're in the room today and you feel, you've almost resigned yourself to the fact that God, you can move in these four, five, six areas of my life, but this one area, I don't know if I've got faith for that. In this room today, the Spirit of God is aligning your faith afresh. To the Jesus that died on that cross and rose again. And He's almost breathing life into an army of Numa soldiers that are willing to believe rightly about their God. Today, if you're here and you're saying, God, I want to believe rightly about you. I want to walk out of here with a faith that is aligned with Scripture, a faith that you died and rose again for me to have. If that is you today, and if, you, if you're in a place where you doubt that breakthrough will ever be your inheritance, today is the day that the Holy Spirit is shifting you afresh. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.